0: Hey everybody! Welcome to another episode of Drive Through FM. Uh, today's going to be a little bit different. It's going to be a review explosion. <laughs> uh, so just a lot of games to go through today. I spent a lot of time over the holidays and into the new year playing a bunch of games. Uh, took a little bit of a break, I guess, you know, from the video making over the holidays, and I've got some catch up to do from some games I didn't get a chance to cover last year. Uh, I'm going to review a bunch of expansions for games that I played, and I'm going to give you kind of a preview of what's coming up. So we're going to talk about a few games that I will be getting to do videos for in the coming weeks, just kind of a little preview of coming attractions, and then I'll go through about uh, seven or eight reviews of games, and then I'll review four expansions at the end. And uh, this is going to be mostly a positive video. I know I kind of tend to bury the negativity in the podcast a little bit. There will be some negative reviews, so to speak, uh, in this episode. But uh, mostly it's going to be positive. So uh, let's just take a quick little break. We'll come back. I'll give you kind of the first preview and take another break and then give you kind of review about seven or eight games. And then finally we'll review some expansions to existing games. Okay, welcome back everybody. Uh, Let's just jump into kind of a preview of coming attractions. Um, I'm going to talk about four different games here, so let's jump right in. The first one I want to talk about is Hegemony. Uh, This is one that I mentioned in my end of the year video uh, list as one I didn't get a chance to play last year. Well, I've had a chance to play it now a couple of times. Uh, Some different player counts uh, using the Crisis expansion, I think it's called. And, uh, uh, you know, using that or also just using the base game, uh, really have enjoyed it. Um, I'm not really a fan of it solo, so just kind of a little bit of spoiler there. But other than that, it's been a lot of fun. I'd like to get a chance to try it out a couple of different ways and play all of the different uh, factions. I have not yet played as the middle class. I played as the other three. And, uh, yeah, on the, on the whole, I really enjoy it. Just want to get a couple plays in and then get to do a video of it. And I'm excited for it. It was better than I expected it to be even because there was a lot of hype, you know, and so sometimes you get a little nervous. You're like, Hey, is it, is it going to be that good? Uh, but it's really cool. And I have a lot of thoughts about it. So definitely look forward to that one relatively soon. So that's hegemony. Uh, next one I want to talk about is a game from Martin Wallace called Bloodstones. And this is kind of a sort of an old school, almost throwback fantasy war game with like these nice uh, bakelite or acrylic tiles. Uh, and your know, players are just it's very, very simple uh, to a degree. And it's not really, you know, there's not a lot of complex, you know, Idiosyncrasies with all the rules and stuff. There's six different factions, and you just kind of pick a map. The components are fantastic; they're amazing. Like I said, they have these really cool tiles that you move around, and they have these nice little illustrations on them. Uh, the maps—I think there's six maps in the box. They're cloth maps, and so you draw the tiles out of a bag, and it's kind of like almost like a hand of cards, and you can play the tiles to you know put the unit out onto the bo- onto the board or spend the units to give you, like, action points, or spend them to recruit other units and stuff like that. And you're kind of, like, you know, just putting out villages, scoring points with your villages, sort of expanding your little empire, capturing other villages, having big fights and stuff. Um, Like I said, it's really simple, but there's a lot of kind of really cool stuff around the edges, which is really neat. And it has this really big old solo campaign, which I've played. Uh, I played, I think, four or five at this point of through the solo scenarios and played one four player game of it with, you know, other people really enjoy it. I don't think it's going to be everyone's cup of tea because it is, uh, I'll leave some of this for the review, but you got to, I think be in the right mood and it, it kind of sheds some of the modern sensibilities that you would, might expect in a modern area control war game kind of thing. Um, uh, but it has some nice, it's got, you know, it's got some Martin Wallace signatures in there, I guess you could call it. Um, i'll explain that better when i get to the review but it's got some really cool stuff and it has some very very interesting things that it does that's very i think subtle so that's another one i want to probably at least try to play once more with with people um and then get back to that but i really enjoyed it it's very very different especially you know in 2024 um there's not really any other games like this one i really liked it so that's bloodstones uh, next one I want to mention is a game that come out of nowhere. It's called Plum Island Horror. And some of my friends, some my media friends, were been talking about this for a little while. And it's a GMT game, which is known for like Twilight Struggle and a bunch of war games and, you know, all kinds of stuff. Dominant species. Um, but typically war games. And sometimes they kind of venture out of that little boulevard there. And they have a really interesting game. Not that the war games aren't interesting, but they are. But uh, this is a co op uh, game set in the pseudo realistic Plum Island, which have, there's some, you know, kind of conspiracy theory stuff around. Uh, but this is completely fantasized and, you know, cooked up and exaggerated. And it's just a co op like tower defense game from the designer of dawn of the zeds which was an old victory point game which i reviewed probably 10 years ago or so and so it has a similar kind of vibe to that kind of um you know instead of fighting zombies you're fighting all these kind of mutants and different weird creatures and stuff and you have different factions and it's you know kind of like bloodstones where it kind of has like an old school vibe i was telling one of my friends about this i said it's like a game from the 80s but good <laughs> that's what it feels like um Again, I think this is going to be one that's not for everybody, but I've been really enjoying it. Played it a couple of times now, and again, I want to just play it a little bit more. And the rules are like typical GMT complexity. It's not that complex, but it's you know it's kind of on the complex side. If we're talking co ops, it's probably around a Spirit Island, but probably not even that complex really. Um, you know, one of the hallmarks of a good kind of GMT game or kind of thematic war game kind of vibe is there is some rules to kind of catch some of the simulation. So, you know, if, if some people might seem like why is this extra rule in here is a little extraneous? I don't think so in this case, but I could see people kind of bouncing off some of that, but I've been having a blast with it. So, I'll have more details about that when I get to the review. Very very cool artwork and everything. Just 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 a wacky vibe too, which just makes a lot of fun. You know, it's not a typical theme that you that you see so that's uh plum island horror uh so the last game kind of a preview is uh dune imperium uprising and so i've played this a few times now i played it solo played it three player played it four player um i've you know dune imperium is like my favorite board game of all time basically kind of right behind frostgrave and rangers of shadow deep which aren't board games <laughs> um but it, it's it's de- it's it's right up there with caylus which for a long time was my favorite game um i really like this i like it quite a bit but i want to wait to play the six player game and i have a game of that scheduled at the time of this recording about three or four weeks from now uh, because when i look at it this way i could have stuffed this one at the end of this podcast when i review some of these other expansions and because it, you, you, i haven't played the six player game yet but at just without that to me it's just kind of like an expansion Now, it does some cool stuff that I really like that's different. Um, There's some other stuff that I kind of miss. Now, I've not played it with any of the expansions because this is kind of a standalone expansion kind of thing, so it's kind of like a new base game sort of. And you can play this with um, the Ix and the Immortality expansions, which are compatible with the base game. You can even take cards from the base game and shuffle them in this and kind of mix and match stuff. So I haven't really played too much with the mixing and matching or haven't played at all with that um just the basic dune imperium uprising you know standalone all by itself and playing it that way it just feels like oh it's just playing dune imperium with another expansion and yeah the board's slightly different but you know it just this expansion requires more you know upheaval in the overall game um i really like the spies i really like the worms those are kind of like the two main uh updates and you have like the the chome contracts which are pretty cool and stuff like that and some new powers and things But I really like it. You know, it just does more of the same, but it's slightly different. Um, But before I jump into doing the video review, I really want to play the three versus three six player game. To me, that is like, I'm like, okay, that's starting to, you know, to get at some cool stuff there. Because that was one of the neat things about the original Dune board game was that kind of, uh, you know, in that game, you had like shifting alliances and stuff. There won't be shifting alliances in this, but you'll have a team versus team. Um, So... I'm curious about that you know that's that to me is the main kind of takeaway uh because if you if you ask me like dune imperium uprising versus base dune plus x i it would be a coin flip to me which one was was a better experience i haven't played dune imperium uprising with x maybe that's the best one but uh but yeah so look forward to those four hegemony bloodstones plum island horror dune imperium uprising and a couple others too um but uh you know we'll leave some surprise All right, so we'll take another quick little break here, and then uh, we'll go and review some some new release games that came out last year. Most of these came out last year, or at least the year before. And then we'll come back and do some expansions. So we'll take a quick break now and be back. Alright, welcome back everybody, and uh, this will be kind of be the uh, the downer <laughs> section of the podcast. Uh, not all of these reviews are going to be negative, um, but I'll probably have something negative to say about all of them. Um, you know, there's a reason these didn't get on video, and some of these though I think are, are objectively a good game. It's just, they either weren't for me, or, or they're objectively, to me, not, objectively in my opinion, <laughs> not a good game. So we'll start with one of those. Um, This one is a GMT game called Mr. President. I was super excited for this game. It's a solo game where it kind of sort of simulates being the President of the United States. And I absolutely dislike this game top to bottom. It is, uh, I struggle to have a good thing to say about this game. I will say the production and the way the rules and stuff are presented are really cool. And the way it kind of walks you into kind of learning the game. Very well done. You know, GMT kind of, let's say, spared no expense in that regard. I mean, when you open the box, you get like a a letter from your, the previous president, you know, because that's kind of a tradition when the new president comes in, the old one sticks a letter in the de- Oval Office desk or something, and then the other one opens it up after they get moved in. And who knows what those letters say. Um, but uh, this is kind of like, hey, it's going to be a tough job, you know, blah, 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 whatever. And um, so you kind of, and that kind of starts you into getting through the different rule books and stuff. So that's just a kind of a taste of that production. But at the end of the day, man, this is just a dice chuck fest with, you know, very, very, very little mitigation. And it just constantly kicks you in the face and all these different things. And I mean, yeah, I mean, that's kind of what that job seems like it would be like, you know, you get in there and everybody's like, fix it, you know, (laughs) like, wait, wait, I need a nap. You know, I don't know. Um, But it's just like tons and tons of charts and tables and shifting things. And then like you start out and there's like events or crises that come up and just kick you in the teeth. And you got to manage like the kind of like the um, what do they call it, like the domestic policies and stuff like that, economy and things like that. That's like your core thing. And you kind of get your bonus points out of like foreign policy and some of these other things. But it's basically bakes down to the core. I don't know, though. I just don't. It didn't i it didn't get off for me from the beginning with the design i was like yeah this is not something i would i would want to do um it, because it just like it just constantly kicks you in the face and you feel like you got real no real agency it's one of the some of these solo games and there's been some that i like that do this probably the best example was an old game called navajo wars which was yeah that was a gmt game that one i felt like the game was playing me but I really enjoyed it as it went along. I felt like I had some decisions here and there, um, but I felt like overall I was kind of like guided through history in a way, but this doesn't even achieve that to me. It's just like a random procedurally generated, you know, machine that's just vomiting chaos at me. And that's, that's how I felt. And I was very very disappointed because I was actually really looking forward to this because I think it'd just be really cool. Um, yeah, anyway, so that's probably the most negative <laughs> that I'll be this entire podcast of this game. I absolutely did not like. Um, so that's Mr. President from GMT Games. The next one we'll talk about, um, this one is Dwarf Romantic. Uh, this, I think, won the Spiel des Jahres last year. This one is one of those kind of like not-for-me games. I can see it is objectively a pretty good game. You know what I mean? I can see why it would win the Spiel des Jahres. But I did not really jive with it. It was a little bit too simple and basic for me. Now, that makes sense, because if it won the Spiel des Arts, it should be targeted to, you know, a quote-unquote family audience. But it didn't, I didn't really get any excitement out of it. So you're placing these tiles and, like, forming these different terrain groupings, kind of like Carcassonne or something. And so you you form little shapes of terrains and you try to like close them off and score them. Some of the tiles will have like little – well, there's like scoring tiles and there's like the regular tiles. I forget what the game calls them. But you you deal out of one stack and then you play out of the other and you go back and forth. And so based on how many points you get, you'll have like a a little sheet that you sort of write things down. And so eventually after you play the game enough or if you do really well – you want to lock these other boxes, which will add new rules and stuff like that. So it's kind of like a legacy campaign game kind of vibe. But you don't destroy anything. It's just like, okay, open up the box, grab the stuff, add it. And now you have just a couple extra rules. And then you kind of move on and you keep going to get all the boxes. And you're kind of just always trying to beat your high score and trying to be more efficient and stuff like that. And that's cool. But playing it, it really reminded me of like a My City from Reiner Knizia. And that one is a little bit of a destructive legacy game where you're like putting stickers on your board and writing things down. And it's uh in that, in that My City, it's not a tile-laying game. I mean, it's a tile-laying game, but it's not like Carcassonne. It's more like uh, Tetris tiles, you know, different, uh, what do they call them, polyominoes. And trying to arrange things, and you kind of like, you know, rinse and repeat. And you're the thing is, Dwarf Romantic is a cooperative game. And so you're playing together, just trying to get a high score, whereas My City is competitive. But to me... Having played both games, as I was playing Dorf Romantic, I was like, eh, I'd rather just play My City again. Or the new one, uh, My Island, which I haven't played. But uh, to me, it was kind of like doing the same kind of thing as My City, you know, with some different mechanics. But just not as good, basically, is how I kind of took away from it. So, anyway, that's Dorf Romantic. I think a lot of people will like it. I know a friend of mine in my game group, him and his family, have loved playing it. Um, and so, uh, all my kids are growing up. And out of the house. And so and some have the kids their own. And uh yeah, so I if I had that kind of environment, then I maybe would have gravitated to it more. But uh as it stands, I would say, well, I would probably recommend, you know, my city over Dwarf Romantic. Okay, so that's Dwarf Romantic. Uh next one is a Vladimir Suchi game called Evacuation. And this one I liked about half of it. So the concept of this game is you are leaving one planet, maybe like Earth or something, and then trying to migrate uh, your resources and your people and everything to another planet somewhere in, you know, another part of the galaxy or the solar system or something. And so you are playing like these action cards to do different actions, which will let you, you know, do certain things like produce things or move things or um, the cards are kind of dual purpose. So allow you to sort of move this sort of like, couple of shuttles that are on this like track between the two planets it has this track which is sort of loosely abstractly symbolizing kind of the movement of stuff your kind of capabilities and also like kind of which planet you're doing your production on because at the beginning you you don't really have anything on the new planet yet but as you move stuff there then you can start to activate buildings and stuff there and produce stuff there which will help you kind of move the stragglers from the first planet to the new planet uh, but that doesn't happen until about midway through the game, and then you kind of move stuff. Now, I like a lot of the game. That track in the middle did not care for that. It felt very like, uh, sometimes a Euro game will like wear its design on its sleeve. So it felt like, oh, this is the track to kind of cinch up <laughs> the design and keep things balanced. And I find that that bugs me, you know, to varying degrees. It kind of just depends. So this could just be kind of a me thing. The other part that really soured the game for me was when you go to like put new production buildings and things on the new planet, it's kind of randomized which of the spaces are bonus spaces and which ones are the targeted. That that kind of ruined the game for me because you're like trying to complete like this, not a set collection, but like this sort of a set collection because the different spaces on the new planet have different terrain types and do different things. And you're trying to, like, uh, complete these objective cards where it's, like, you've got to get, you know, three of the green ones that are in a horizontal row. Or these two that are all within one space of each other. And all these, like, random things. And I'm, like, no, I want to do one that gives me, you know, I don't know, ore or the orange resource or whatever. And then I have to, like, then do this other thing where I'm, like, trying to combine for this objective card. And it's really sucking me out of, like, what I think is a really neat theme and a theme that reminds me a little bit of on mars because in on mars you don't have like a earth is not really represented visually on the board but you have your like little astronaut guy at the top of the board so you kind of have the left side of worker placement the right side of worker placement like some of the stuff is in the spaceship or, you know orbiting mars other stuff is on mars so you have that kind of back and forth vibe there which feels you know thematically similar to evacuation and i think similar to Dwarf Romantic, I would just say, yeah, I would just play on Mars instead of evacuation. Um, You know, it touches on a lot of the same things. They're relatively as complex. I mean, you could argue on Mars is more complex. It probably is. But the thing about it is the complexity there helps serve the theme. So it makes me, sucks me in a little bit more and that kind of thing. So that's kind of where I come down on evacuation. There's a lot I've really liked about it. There's a lot of stuff that I just felt was a little bit too, again, on the sleeve. Sort of like, you know, here's my little, well, you have to be on the new planet. And, like, how are we going to do that? Uh, Give them objective cards (laughs) so they can, like, put their buildings in a certain order. I'm like, uh, okay, (laughs) whatever that means. So, yeah, that kind of pulls me out of it. So, anyway, that's Evacuation, Vladimir Succi. You know, his stuff I'm, like, 50-50 on. It's like a coin flip. He has a game come out, and I'm like, this is great. You know, like uh, Underwater Cities or um, uh, Praga, Copa Regni or uh, Messina. But then there's other games, and I'm like, like this one or that one that was like, uh, you were like elves building like wooden pieces. I'm like, eh, I, don't, I don't know what this is. <laughs> so, anyway, he's a 50, 50 50 50 50 guy. All right, so that's Evacuation. Uh, next one we're going to talk about is Heat. Didn't this win a Spiel to Jahres or something too? I guess I don't like these games. So Heat is kind of a redo of a game from the same designers. The original game, let's call it, is Flam Rouge, which is like a bicycle race, kind of like a Tour de France or something. And in that game, you were, you know, it was like a deck-building game but a racing game. And so you're playing your cards and building your deck and and then racing your bikes and kind of drafting each other, getting little bonus movements. Now heat's kind of the same thing, but with race cars, but you have different asymmetric abilities and you have like, uh, you know, heat cards that can kind of go and you overheat your car and, uh, you know, you can try to make different maneuvers around corners. Then you flip cards off your deck to see if you maybe spin out and that kind of stuff. And I honestly didn't care for Flamme Rouge either, but I was kind of thinking, oh, maybe cause Flamme Rouge was, was actually, oh, it was fine. Let me, let me backtrack a little bit. Rouge was fine. But I was like, this game just needs something a little bit more. It's like a little bit too much. Just the, just did what it did. And then <laughs> you de- did deck building and you drafted bikes and that was it. And you raced. And so I felt like, I'm like, man, this game just needs something else. Cause I think this is a really cool mechanism. And then he would come along and I was like, Oh, okay. So this is, this is what I was kind of hoping for. Right. So it's kind of like Flamme Rouge, and you have the, you know, drafting and it's turning and the heat and all the different things and some asymmetry and you've got the gear shifting and all that stuff because um, that'll kind of keep you, kind of keep your heat levels running and you can play certain values of cards based on your gear that you're in. And uh, honestly, I think I prefer <laughs> Flum <Rouge> to heat <laughs> because one thing I noticed in this game, and I played it twice and it happened to me in one of the games, it happened to a friend in another, was like, if you get behind, if you get like a bad draw and spin out, then it's kind of like, well, you kind of have to like push your luck to get catch up. And then you can kind of snowball against you, which I didn't like that. And then I also felt like it was too much. It's kind of forced you to, then you know, having done that, it kind of forced me to play too safe. And then it kind of just ends up being like Flam Rouge anyway, with just some extra mechanics going around. It It didn't really, you know, I was like, ah, okay, I'm just, well, I'll just do the safe route. And then he kind of wrinkles around the edges of like who gets ahead on the turns, you know, at that point. And it was just like, okay, this is not that interesting. <laughs> Cause it's just, I don't know. It's just, every time you seemed like anybody really tried to push their luck and go for it. That was like hundred percent of the time it was a spin out. And I was just like, okay, now I'm just going to do this for the rest of the game. And I don't know, it just, the snowball effect of it just kind of got to me a little bit. Um, so if you asked me, I would recommend Flam Rouge over this. I think there is an expansion for Flam Rouge, which I've never played. So maybe that's kind of where it would hit the sweet spot for me. Um, but yeah, generally, and that's another thing with this, with Heat, is once you start to add some of the mechanics that it added, it really reminded me of Rally Man or Formula D or something like that. It starts to kind of take on that vibe or the... There was the one from Restoration Games. I'll look it up real quick. Oh, Downforce. I mean, that one, well, that's kind of a betting game. But, because um, some of these other racing, Camel C- Camel Cup, that's also a betting game, but it made me think of that. Those games, I don't know, as I was playing Heat, I was like, I'd rather play any of these four, five, six other games <laughs> as well. So, yeah and i know some of those are betting game i mean ready set bet um but it has a race element to it but if you want to talk pure racing you know, rally man or um uh or form of the day right so yeah so that I would just rather play any of those anyway so that's heat the next one here is and this one is just a just a totally a me thing it's called Zoo Vadis. Now, this is a remake of an older Canizia game, Quo Vadis. This is also by Canizia. And in that one, I think in Quo Vadis, i would never played it, but you're trying to, like, kind of get to the head of the Senate or something in the government. And in this one, well, strangely enough, I don't really like how the theme works here, but you have, like, different zoo animals that are trying to get to the end of the board. So what happens is you have your zoo animals that you are and then you like put them in spaces and then you can, based on how many of other animals are in the spaces, you can move them out of the space but then you have to bribe each other and everybody has like a unique special ability and there's like some NPC zoo animals on the spaces and there's like a zoo keeper that moves around that will affect things and what it ends up being is that, like kind of a pure negotiation game where you're sort of negotiating about like okay, well if I give you a dollar then we can both move because it's just some I forget the rules. It's been a couple of months, but there's some rules about how and when you can move out of different spaces and you kind of need to vote. That's what it is. You kind of need to vote of everybody to move out. And so there's some negotiation there and you can kind of use your ability and give somebody an ability or give them some of the coins. And then also you can move the neutral NPCs and then you try to get yourself in situations to score like bonus points based on the different areas you're in. And then also get bonus points for moving to the very end of the board. It's all very, very simple mechanically, but it's all just again, pure negotiation. And I don't know. I mean, I thought about not talking about this (laughs) because I'm like, this is not a game for me. I just wish there was like, like negotiation. I like, but like throw a game underneath the hood there. The pure negotiation is just like, Oh, Okay, so it's just, we're just bullshitting each other. <laughs> like, there's no, you know what I mean? Like, I want there to be like some other levers to pull on and uh, something else kind of affecting uh, the circumstance and the environment, you know? Like, okay, we'll negotiate, but then, you know, let's roll a die, you know, or whatever, or like have some thing that you have to also do. Because we're going to negotiate you know i'm trying to not use a political example but you know like in politics they say oh well, let's do this and do that and then a hurricane comes <laughs> you know I mean? and like well there goes our budget so i want there to be that universe hitting everybody you know and then you're still negotiating and you're trying to like eke out your advantages based on that not just pure you know number crunching stuff Because it becomes very like, let me break out the spreadsheet. You know, that to me is like not enough under the covers there or above the covers with this uh, with Zuvatis. So anyway, again, but I can see how people will get into that. Uh, So that's Zuvatis. So we got two more to go in the normal review section here. Let's see. Uh, Next one is a game called Freelancers. It's from Plat Hat Games. And this is kind of a follow-up... not a sequel necessarily, but to Forgotten Waters, which is a game I really enjoyed a few years ago. That one you kind of, uh, is a storybook game in a way, and you had different missions and you were pirates and overseas on the seas and all this stuff. And had different characters and some cool like Mad Lib types of things and just a lot of really cool fun adventure. Now, Freelancers is kind of the same thing, but it's set in kind of a more of a traditional role-playing game kind of thing. It's sort of set in a far future Earth where there's no people, but all the animals are now anthropomorphic and can speak and all this stuff. And so, but you have like different classes like uh, fighters and wizards and stuff like that. So you kind of mash up uh, two parts of a character sheet, write down some Mad Lib stuff. And then you go through and have different adventures and there's six adventures in the box. I played two of them And let's talk about the positives first I think it does some things sort of technically and production wise um, Probably mechanically maybe better than forgotten waters like I didn't even read the rule book I didn't watch a watch a played video I had kind of skimmed it a while before I got the game just kind of give me a sense of it, but the app that walks you through the game i think is the best i've ever seen at that and i think that's just not just for apps i mean i'm just talking anything where by the end of that like probably halfway through the first um scenario first mission i was like i i got this game down and, it, and in the rulebook itself like i don't think you could actually even learn the game from the rulebook but it works as a really good reference because i was like what's that token do oh yeah okay got it and so and but not even that so in the app itself when you go to do a thing it somehow always has like that information kind of right at your fingertips as well so you can just kind of tap on something like on a you're doing a test or something you tap on it and it'll have a little pop-up window that gives you oh this token does this and this does that so after a while you don't even need the rule book even for that kind of thing now here's where i kind of come down uh, on the negative side of it i thought the Adventures and the quests and stuff in Forgotten Waters were much more interesting, and I, I, that those I, I replayed some of those, and uh, this one I don't think I would ever replay any if I if I did end up liking the game, which I don't. But to me, the replayability was pretty low, um, and I think it comes down to a couple of things. One is in Forgotten Waters, you kind of moved around on this sort of grid with your ship, your boat. And you could kind of go different ways and stuff. And you had some other, like it was like kind of a, I think it was like the crossroads engine part of it. Like the event generation. So that could kind of wrinkle some stuff up too. And, you know, based on where things kind of were dealt out, the objective wouldn't necessarily be in the same place on that grid. Because you kind of like, it's kind of a, had a fog of war kind of thing where you revealed parts of the ocean as you as you went through it. Now the general plot and everything would be the same. But not 100%, you know, with the battles and everything work out exactly that way. Now, in um, Freelancers, you have, like, a map, and each of the quests has a different map, and then you draw, you know, you basically move from A to B to C to D. And it has some forking branches, but it's like, you know, you just go left or right, and then they both kind of, if you go left or right, they both circle back and meet in the middle. And then you kind of keep going from there. So they give you a couple of forks there. But to me like. Um, sort of palette wise. I didn't like that. Because it was just like. Ah. So every time I go to this you know space number 32. It's going to kind of be this thing. Now the other part I didn't like about it. And this. Uh, I feel almost. Bad about saying this. But some of the like story. Writing moments of it. Were some of them were really funny (laughs) and I laughed out loud at them. Other of them took me too far out of the story. And so some of the like encounters and stuff that you have, you know, along the way to your quest were just like, I'm like, oh, this was just the only point of this little encounter was a setup for somebody to write this joke or this kind of like skit and like i said some of them were actually honest to god really funny and i laughed out loud and like this is ridiculous <laughs> this is hilarious but okay the other ones i was like kind of getting into the main story of the thing and then it has this thing come out of sideways and i'm like what what is this what you just completely took me out of uh the adventure that i was starting to enjoy and it happened more than a few times so this way i would rather play forgotten waters cuz i thought um you know i don't know i kind of felt like as the as the the gamer, the player, I was like, ah, oh, I'm just here. I'm like an audience member or something. And I don't want to feel like that. So anyway, so, you know, those are my thoughts. I think people would enjoy this because like I said, there's some funny stuff in there and the mechanics are fine and everything kind of works well. And, um, it, you know, it's, it's a tight little design. I say objectively, it's probably a good game. You know what I mean? But just, just missed me. Uh, the last game we're going to talk about in this section before we get to the expansion section is a game called Lands of Galzir. Now, I had a lot of folks reach out to me after my Earthborn Rangers review and said, oh, this sounds you know kind of like Lands of Galzir. Um, you got to check it out. You got to check it out. So I reached out to the publisher and sent me the game and checked it out. And I think similar to freelancers, there's a lot really I like about the game. It's a couple of things that keep me from wanting to play it again now i played this i think five or six times so it took me a minute to get to the point where i was like Ugh, you know what? I, you know what i think i don't like this game and so it had me for a little bit <laughs> now let's talk about the stuff i did like first and the main thing that sticks out to me well, a couple of things but the main thing is the skill system. Now, each of the characters has, like, these this little wheel on their character board of different colors. And, like, one, and those will represent the color dice you roll um, on the check. And they each will kind of correspond to an attribute. Like, one will be, like, I can't remember what they're called, but, like, agility or combat or charisma, like, negotiation type stuff and all that stuff. And so, if you have, like, a charisma check, you... And you have some points in Charisma. Let's say you have two points. Because you have these, like, it's almost like little, little like, radar things. You, you have these really cool little plastic things you insert. So as you improve or move skills around, you'll pull some of these off and put them in other parts of this wheel. So let's say I have two points in Charisma. So let's say it's the orange dice. So I do a Charisma check. And you roll, I think it's always like you roll five dice. So I would pick, of course, oh, I've got two points Charisma. I'll grab the two Charisma dice. And then if I have points in the abilities adjacent to it on the wheel, I might grab one of those dice because the charisma dice are going to have the most successes for charisma. The ones adjacent to it will, I think they each have like one success. And then you have some like generic black or white dice that have a little bit of each as well. So then you roll that. So it's kind of neat because if I go do a test that's not charisma, but it's the one adjacent to it, I can still take my charisma dice and then give them add them to the test and the way that the wheel works everything kind of makes sense of like in terms of what is next to the next thing so you know you might have a a a sneaking uh, attribute that's kind of close to the combat attribute so you might be more of a sneaky thing so even though it's not a direct combat attribute it's still like combat adjacent and that's just a really really clever thing i mean it's friggin' awesome The other cool thing is when you go to do a test in this thing, and and it's also like uh, freelancers. It's an uh, anthropomorphized adventure fantasy thing, right? So you're going to be running around doing a bunch of different tests. And so you will do a test, but then sometimes the the app or the storybook will um, say, okay, you did this test. So you have these successes, but did you get any successes in combat? Because it's not strictly combat test but if you've got a bunch of these you can choose to do this other outcome and if you one of your uh weapons that you used that generated like an extra combat success was it a firearm or was it this type of weapon then you can do that and so it kind of like organically generates the result targeted to your character source your your specializations and all that stuff that was just Amazing! I think it's one of the coolest mechanics I've seen in a long, long time. And the way that that worked out and the way that it would generate narrative events based on that. And then what happens is when you do these things, you get these little effect cards like status cards. Like you you have, you're inspired or you're depressed or you're weakened or you're in jail and all these different things. And so that will then affect certain things. And then usually when you get a status card, you'll grab it. You'll put a little token on the card and then a matching token on the track on the game board, which shows the days because you usually play the game for like a week in game terms. And then it'll say, oh, put this token here and then three days out for put the other token. So when the day moves along, then that status will just disappear because it's like gone away because you can only stay inspired for so long. (laughs) You, You can't stay inspired for 24 hours for the rest of your life. And so there's, or like a companion will show up with you and it'll hang out with you for a couple of days and then it'll go away. So the bonus just naturally kind of dissipates. And so you kind of just bounce around this world, which is kind of what you can do in Earthborn Rangers, which is one of the parts I really like about it. You kind of bounce around this world, interact with these different NPC characters, have fights, get you know involved in some of these different quests and stuff like that. Now, the thing is, there's nothing like binding you to any thread in the game. There are, there's this giant deck of cards, huge, like hundreds of cards. And they have these different state effects and items and things. And there's also like a big old stack of quest cards that you can go on. And you kind of go and do quests and things happen. And you're like, oh, cool, that happened. And then, you know, stuff goes away. You know, you 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 did the quest one way or did it another way. So it kind of affects your character that way. And, uh, and you play competitively in the app. And this one also has an app. It's not In this case, the app's not required. I really would recommend it because there's a lot of text, a lot of text, and I actually turned on the text to speech, which is a little bit jarring because it's just like a roboticish voice, but I got used to it. I thought it was fine. Um, I would say if you're not playing with the app, you're gonna do a ton of reading. I'm like, eh, that's a lot of reading. I don't like a lot of reading and in, in recitation uh, in in my games. Anyway, um, but you know, using the app, using the kind of robotic text to speech voice, I thought it was fine. Um, But the thing is, it it has some quests that are like, I can't remember what they're called. They're like, and it's it's not epic, but it's like, you know, it's a key quest. And and there's a handful of them in there. They're kind of like the main plot. But you can just like not stumble into those for a while. I stumbled into one. And even the result of that was like, okay, this did kind of make a world changing thing. Um, And the thing is, it it has so many cool things, though, because you have like, different cards that you slot into places on the board and they will like flip up and down so like you know the state of different towns and places will will change some of the one it's a double sided board so one side is winter one side is not so you have different cards for that and you know different little things will happen it's very easy to keep track of you think it would be fiddly and a mess but it's not but after like i said playing like six times i was like well what Nothing was like pulling me back into this world. I was like, oh, what about this character and that character? None, none of the characters like stood out. Um, you know, they eventually started to kind of all blend in together. Um, and so there was, like I said, there was not really like a main thread. And I, I think if I were to keep playing it, you know, maybe played another six times and maybe a couple of those would sort of, you know, sort of naturally arise from this procedurally generated stuff. But yeah, I just, that was the part where the game just kind of fell, fell away from me. I would love to see this system again. I would love to see a lot of this stuff because honestly, it's really worth trying just to kind of play around with that for a little bit. And it's not like a legacy campaign thing. So it's very easy to kind of reset the decks. So if you did get a chance to try it and you were able to get the game, you could play, it, you know, like I said, five, six times and you can give it to a friend or whatever and then kind of reset the decks for them. Oh, that's what i did and um the same friend that uh they they like doorformantic i was like i know what you have kids i think this could be really cool because um mechanics are very immersive and the, but they're very simple it's it's not complex to 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 do and i think uh him and his kids could have a lot of fun with it for a few sessions so um you know kind of a caveat recommend there but Again, I think I'd like to see sort of a re-investigation of some of these mechanics. Those are really, really cool. I think they could easily make something that was, you know, a little bit more linear, a little bit more like, you know, like a main thread, a main quest, a main plot, but then still kind of decorated and colored up with a lot of cool side quests and stuff like that. Anyway, so that's Lands of Galzir. All right, we'll take one more little break and we'll review a couple expansions. And, um and yeah all right welcome back everybody uh got three expansions to to talk about we'll just jump right in here I thought about maybe doing videos on these, but eh, let me just talk about them. I enjoy all of these. I recommend all of these, (laughs) but, uh, let's, let's just jump in. Forget it. Arc Nova, uh, Marina. That's the first expansion that we want to talk about. Uh, sorry, Marine worlds, not Marina. Um, this I think is a, almost a must have expansion. I think once you've played Arc Nova a bunch, which I have, then this, this will serve you nicely. Um, it's got basically two two main things um, that sort of change things up. The first thing is, is as the name implies, you've got different kind of like uh, aquatic type creatures that you can, you know, build into your zoo. And it just, just gives you some, you know, a bunch of new cards and, and, and updates the deck in general. And it gives you a couple of new, what is it, universities uh, that uh, will interact with, uh, well, it'll give you like another icon for the different creature types the different animal types as well so that gives you another way to kind of go after some of those bonuses and stuff uh, so that's kind of the the, the 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 main part of it and then the other main part of it is each player has kind of like their own deck of action cards because if you play dark nova you know like you've got one through five and you've got build buildings you know put animals in enclosures you've got the the little what's it called the uh, association card right that you can do different uh, projects and stuff like that and uh, you know the, the, you got the five action cards well this one you can kind of draft unique versions of those action cards so everybody ends up with uh, a couple of unique ones that do the you know the basic same action but then a little bit different and to me that's really a really cool part of the game so you can play without that. You can just play with the new cards and the new aquatic, you know, enclosures and creatures and stuff like that. That'd be fine, but I think to me the best part of it is those unique action cards. Really have enjoyed that. It just spices up the game. It's just going to make it very different each time because there's a ton of them. There's a ton of them. And you don't play with like completely, you know, revamped. There's only you only play with a smattering every single time. Uh, so, and everybody's going to have different stuff. Like I said, there's a bunch. So I really recommend this. I've been playing this game more and more and more recently. And, um, this is, this is slowly becoming one of my, one one of my all time favorites. I mean, this is really creeping up there. It's, it's one of those where, I don't know, like it's, it's really killing off a lot of games. You know, it's kind of like in that race for the galaxy, terraforming Mars space, And it's really just to me, just kind of just decimated all the competition um, with any of these kind of card driven, you know, tableau building (laughs) card games. Um, Yeah, and this just adds to it. Anyway, so that's Ark Nova Marine World. Uh, Next one we'll talk about is Lost Ruins of Arnak, the Missing Expedition. Um, This one is fantastic. Uh, I played through, now I have not played this competitively. Because uh, it's got two new um, temple maps that you can put on, uh, you know, your board, and and play that way, and just play straight up. But it also has a six-part campaign, which I played all the way through, and absolutely loved it. Now the last expansion, which was I think called Expedition Leaders, had leaders. That was the main thing. And then there was like a free expansion, which had a four-part quest, from what I remember. And this quest is it's it's kind of like the same quest because in that one. The professor kind of goes missing or whatever, and then you're like competing with some like rogue, um, you know, archaeologist freak, kind of like Belloc in the Indiana Jones movie, you know, like your arch nemesis. So it's similar, kind of it's it's like the same almost story, but it's it's different, and it works out a little bit differently. Now I would say I think this quest is much better. Uh, The way it scores and everything is really cool, and it gives you lots of cool bonus objectives, and like you can carry over certain cards from you know, mission to mission, you actually pull, you don't use any of the new cards, uh, in the deck at all. And then you kind of have to like find them and lock them. And then eventually by the time you get through the end, you've unlocked some of the new, um, other little companion characters as well. Don't get mixed in right away. Um, so you put those in and then there's like these, all these little decks of like little narrative story events and stuff. And it's just really, really cool. Um, I quite enjoyed it. Um, it, uh, I think it's the basic sort of normal modes, a little bit on the easy side. I like, I actually destroyed the thing. Um, but you know, you can always up the difficulty too. And I can see myself going back through it on like the purple difficulty or whatever. Oh no, you actually don't do that. Cause you know, you have the solo cards with the green, the red, and the purple in this one, the, based on the scenario, it's kind of a fixed setup of cards, but there are other rules in the scenarios that kind of tweak the difficulty. So, yeah. So I would go back uh, through that. And it adds a couple of new leaders. I played um, at first. I played with the uh, like the mechanic. That was a lot of fun. And the, that first scenario, and Then I played with the journalist in the second one. And then I love that one. I just played it all the way through. Mm-hmm. And that really, the journalist is really cool. Like a, as, a, as an ability. And the other thing that's cool um, is it gives you like two new um, sort of leaders, but they don't have any like special board. They just have. Um, like you you just set up the deck in a certain way there's no other like other mechanics like the leaders have already i'm like that's pretty cool because if you're teaching people you could do one of two things you could say well here's here's you know one of these normal leaders that's got this cool involved thing and i'll as a handicap or whatever i'll play as you know one of these more basic expedition leaders or you could say you know what here's a simpler one you don't have to go learn all these other mechanics I just give you kind of a cool starting deck, and you get some cards that are special and they're self explanatory. So I like that too. So it kind of gives you four leaders, two kind of real leaders, and then two sort of more basic ones. And like I said, the journalist I thought was awesome. I love playing the journalist, I think that's my favorite leader uh, so far. Um, but yeah, I can't recommend it enough. You know, I thought the base game was great, and once I played the expansion, the first expansion with that free campaign, I was like, "Oh, this is one of the best games I ever played." And this just kind of does more of the same. Um, so, really, really can't recommend that enough. If you, if you enjoyed the base game at all, this is an easy pickup. All right, and then the last uh, expansion we're going to talk about is Return to Dark Tower Covenant. Uh, this is the newest expansion kind of the second expansion for the game although i think the alliances expansion i don't think you can get that separately i think that was a kickstarter only thing i'm not super sure but it, this is not you don't mix this with alliances so if you either play with alliances or you play with a covenant um and i was I, I honestly was a little disappointed but then i thought about it and i was like eh, that would be kind of a headache <laughs> Because there would just be, I think, too much going on, and it would probably be really hard to kind of balance out all the stuff. Um, And the way that this works is sort of, it kind of has a similar vibe to alliances. Because in alliances, you have the guilds in each of the different regions. And they kind of, the guilds sort of start off like hindering you. They kind of give you a debuff or a penalty. You've got to kind of work to improve the guilds in the different zones and then after a while they're like you know you become a lot more powerful so you have these uh, monuments and the way that those work is you take one of each building type so you got you know your sanctuaries and your villages and all that stuff and you replace one of each of those and then in one of each of the four different regions and that building's gone there's no building like that And you put like this little blueprint token down and each of those, the the app will like randomly tell you which ones to, to do. And then each of those buildings and they're like these giant, like crazy grim, dark monuments. Like there's like a nightmare tower and a giant Colossus and all these different things. And so there'll be certain sort of requirements that you have to do to unlock the ability to even build the building and usually those requirements are bad <laughs> so it'll be like uh or, or you have to do some kind of you know thing or objective that kind of puts you in danger you know, like one is like anytime somebody gets a corruption then you put a mark and so once there's been three corruptions dealt out to, to anybody in the game then that kind of unlocks the ability for that monument to be erected Then you've got to move to that spot take the action to get the monument built and the monument will be kind of a souped up version of the building that it replaced so if it's a sanctuary or a citadel or something you'll still have the ability kind of the free um i can't remember what they're called the free action ability that you can do but then the the beefed up version of that action is different than the base uh version of that building so it gives you a cool thing and then you tell the app that you have built it and so the building will act as like one of the uh the companions that you can get because the if you you know rescue different companions or find them they will kind of do things in the app in the ai or whatever the app the building these monuments are kind of the same thing they'll, they'll help prevent things or give you little bonuses and stuff as well as well as being able to interact with them you know in the kind of the, the normal board game space so it kind of sort of works out in a way like the guilds where the guilds are kind of negative at first there's bad stuff going on and then when you take actions to improve them and this is like, you know, you do some stuff, and then once you unlock it, then you've got some cool stuff. And sometimes the app will, uh, uh, you know, require you, depending on the boss that you fight and stuff, they'll require you to build some of these. So you can't, like, really usually ever ignore them. And in the games I've played of it, I've played it a few times solo and with two, no know, three and four other players. And uh, um, and so in, 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 the, in the games that we've played, uh, we usually build, you know, at least two of them. That it seems like you got to build at least two of them. I, I haven't played a game where you build all four yet. I think you'd probably be... Eh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you could do it. But sometimes it just doesn't... It's not conducive to you know <laughs> the objective of trying to win the game. Um, so that, that's that's the main new part. And then there's these other things that come out. Uh, wasteland markers. And every time you play with the expansion in the app, it has you put out these wasteland markers which basically sort of desolate all of the different zones on the board, which basically turns off or deactivates... The terrain type, so many terrain bonuses that you might have had, you know, if you get like a forest bonus or a desert bonus, it doesn't work in that space if there's a wasteland token there. can't do it. And also, if you move into that space, you have to stop moving. You cannot move out of there until the start of your next turn. Well, by the end of the game, you know, you're on month three, month four, month five. There's a bunch of these wasteland tokens out there. So you are having to go on these crazy roundabout, routes to get to where you want to go and spending spirit to double your movement becomes a lot more important than this and so there's that part of it so that kind of to me fixes a little something where it was kind of easy to get around um you know maybe in the base i don't know it's 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 a wrinkle um i would say if i had a criticism of the expansion would be that (laughs) specific thing because it's kind of like obviously fixing that you know how easy it is to get places on the board so it's kind of just like, eh, you know, okay. But it's fine. I don't know. That's my only thing i am seeing. Now, I really like some of the other interactions. Everything else about the expansion, I really, really like. And I'd say, I think overall, I like this expansion better than Alliances. But having played this a few times now, I kind of want to go back and play Alliances. So I kind of like that there is sort of a plug-and-play aspect to this. Where, you know, you play with Alliances, you can play with Covenant, you can kind of move back and forth. It kind of just helps round out the world. It kind of feels like you're playing in different sort of timelines or, or periods, you know, in the sort of the history of this, of this area, um, where different things were going on, you know, the time of the monuments, the time of the guilds and all that. So really enjoy the game. I mean, we have played, um, some of the setups, like I, like I said, and when I did the review and when I've talked about this in my top 50 games of all time, there are some setups in this that I'm like, this is really hard to win. Um, specifically, there's one that we, I haven't beat it yet. One time I got my face caved in. The other time I was playing with my friends. We almost beat it. So it's definitely beatable. Um, there is a, you know, I talked about the wasteland. So you get the wasteland. And then if you choose the uh, the dryad as the companion, so like against the main quest, what it, has you do in that case is move some of the the different grove tokens that that companion comes with and you have to get them into a region where you've built a monument and where you have to move those grove tokens to sort of cover up the wasteland tokens well if you don't get on that right away you're gonna and there's only eight grove tokens you're gonna probably be in such a situation that you just it's gonna be really hard to move those grove tokens now in the second game we got a quest item that helped us do that a lot quicker and easier. We still lost. <laughs> but I was like, okay, if you don't get that quest, impossible to win. So, yeah, so that's cool though. I mean, I like that. So like we, you know, the first time we did it and I just ignored the quest cuz I don't know what I was off doing something else. And then we just we're like we got the quest this time we're like, "Oh yeah, shoot. we should uh, <laughs> totally do this every single time." Um but yeah, I like that, that you can have all these different kind of setups and things that are going to, you know, kind of vary in difficulty. And so it's still kind of, you know, hits home and does that same thing. So anyway, that's the Return to Dark Tower Covenant expansion. Uh, that is the last uh, little piece of review uh, that we're going to have for today. So if you're still listening, thanks for hanging in there and uh, listening to all these reviews. And uh, I wanted to kind of get all these behind me, you know, especially these expansions. And I was like, ah, just... You know, I'll put everything in the in the podcast you know get it all taken care of and then uh, I can looking forward to doing some videos on hegemony and bloodstones and Plum Island and doing Imperium uprising down the road and stuff like that. so anyway, thanks for listening. take care of yourselves thanks.